This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart, and you're listening to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. Let's join Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon, Johnny. A big week coming up as far as CPI is concerned on both sides of the Atlantic. We've got inflation figures in the United States tomorrow and in the UK on Wednesday. Yes, that's right. And I think this is going to be a really important week because of that. We also have UK jobs data tomorrow as well. We've got retail sales figures for both the US and the UK. So those two countries are going to be a massive focus for the markets this week. But obviously, the headline is going to be those inflation numbers. And that's the case for two reasons. One is the obvious reason. It's what's stopping the central bank from calling an end to its tightening cycle and even considering the prospect of interest rate cuts in the foreseeable future. But also because, especially from the UK's perspective, we're expecting to see a substantial decline. In the US, it's expected to fall on an annual basis from 3.7% to 3.3%, a big step in the right direction and almost within touching distance of its 2% target. In the UK, it's expected to fall from 6.7% to roughly 4.7%. So that's a massive jump in the right direction. Still, We need to see it half again just to get close to the Bank of England's inflation target of 2%. But that is a huge step in the right direction and it's helped primarily by the energy price tariff, which obviously jumped last October and has fallen this October. So that's a massive swing to help the price lower. But things like petrol uh, last year and, and food price inflation was much higher last year than it is this year. All of these things have uh, compounded to create favorable base effects, which is why we are seeing lower inflation figures now. We're not expecting to see another big jump like this to the downside going forward. It's going to be more modest declines, or that's at least what the Bank of England believes is going to be the case. But those two releases this week really make it uh, such a standout week because that will effectively, it feels, lay the groundwork for the rest of the year. It gives us some insight into how much progress is really being made, what can we realistically expect over the next few months, and therefore, when can we realistically expect interest rate cuts next year? And all of that is really important. Like I say, that's what makes this week such a big week for markets. And of course, that inflation number is politically important for Prime Minister Rishi Sunak because he did promise to halve the number in one of his uh, five promises that were made some time ago. But can he take any credit for that figure, should it reach 5% or lower? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point because I've just said the energy price tariff is the biggest thing. So how much credit can the prime minister take for the energy price tariff? How much credit can be taken for the fact that the global political system has tried to shuffle supplies of products that last year spiked in price. Uh, So this is a kind of global effort of which they have been part to ensure that supplies become more balanced and therefore prices return to much more manageable levels. And that means we get over time, more regular prices of fuel, of energy, of food, etc. And therefore, that's where it is probably paying the most dividends. Everything else, I think, still has to fall to the Bank of England, though. It's their job to get inflation back to 2%. That's why we've seen 5% of interest rate hikes over the course of the last two years. And that bearing down on the economy does mean that we see more slack in the labour market. We see slower economic growth. We see less demand. And then prices fall sustainably to 2% beyond the shock increase and then the shock decline that we get from the other factors. The one other area where I'd say the government deserves credit, and interestingly, this is the area that they're not shouting about, and it's arguably the thing they've probably done most to contribute, is the fact that unemployment has risen from 3.5% to 4.2%. 
and it's been driven not necessarily by enormous job losses, but by higher levels of immigration to address the shortage of labour, which means we get more slack in the labour market, which is what the Bank of England wants, which means wage growth can become more subdued from the levels it's currently at. And that's what gives us the opportunity to get sustainable 2% inflation, because we can't have 8.1% wage growth, which is what you currently have, and 2% inflation. That would require unbelievable levels of productivity growth that we're not nearly going to achieve. So we need slack in the labour market. And if you can achieve that slack without massive job losses, then you do deserve credit. But it's probably the part that they're not going to talk about because it's politically sensitive. And therefore, I think there is going to be a huge element of taking credit for what's happening. Whereas in reality, it's been a combination of different factors from the central bank to the global effort to the political effort as well. And they have held firm on public sector wage rises as well, even though some of those long-standing disputes have now ended. I'm particularly thinking of the transport, the rail sector. Let's move on, though, to the other side of the Atlantic. And uh, we've got the CPI tomorrow. What are markets expecting? Yeah, so there we're expecting a smaller decline. So as I said earlier, that's 3.7 to 3.3. It's not as marked as what we're going to see in the UK, but I mean, it's still a massive step in the right direction when you've got a 2% inflation target we're now like i said within touching distance of that and we are on a trajectory that is promising but again the difference between the uk and the us is that they haven't seen the level of unemployment growth that we've seen they haven't seen the level of slowdown in activity in the economy that we have seen the labor markets remain very strong the consumer has remained very strong too and that's what worries the Fed is that how can we get an inflation back sustainably to target if the economy is still running relatively hot and they still want to achieve a soft landing. This could give you some hope that actually a soft landing could be achieved and maybe the Fed is wrong in its belief that it needs to create that additional slack in the labour market because if inflation falls to 3.3%, you're almost there. But the final point in all of this, and I think many central banks have said this for the last 12 months, we've said it for the last 12 months as well, getting inflation back from 10% to 4% can be done through, like say, favourable base effects from changes in energy prices, from changes in food prices. Getting it from 4 to 2 is always going to be the hardest part of the job and that's going to be the interesting test now of the course of the next few months. Finally, Craig, oil is up today, just over one and a half percent. Is this a trend we're going to see over the next few days, do you think? Well, I'm not necessarily sure, to be quite honest, because we're seeing oil prices bounce back a little bit. We actually saw relatively decent declines, to be honest, over the course of the last few weeks. I think lower growth expectations. Obviously, what we're seeing in Israel and Gaza, the threat that that could spread more to the broader Middle East and disrupt oil flows is one of the reasons why we saw a massive spike in oil prices before that. And it seems that those fears are subsiding and that's enabled oil prices to decline as well. So I think those things have kind of weighed on oil prices recently. But what's interesting is today, OPEC has released its monthly oil report and it's pushing back against the market, both in terms of effectively alluding to markets overly pessimistic views on Chinese demand being one of those, but also it's raised its growth forecasts as far as demand is concerned for this year, and it's maintained them for next. So that seems to run counter to the narrative that the markets uh, are pushing out, which is that demand growth is a concern and that if the global economy slows, as people's people seem to think it will, that that will weigh on oil demand, which has helped to move prices lower. So it's, it's interesting to see that dynamic, the difference in, in those viewpoints. And what I would say is OPEC has been pretty accurate, to be honest. Every time they've cut production, people have complained. People have told about 100, 120, even $150 oil, and it's never fully materialized, at least over the course of this year, because OPEC has been right in its assessment on the economy and on the demand supply dynamics. And perhaps OPEC will be proven right again. I think the proof will be in the pudding because 
ultimately, if they're saying that they think demand's going to remain strong when they continue to restrict supply, uh, and if Saudi Arabia and Russia do extend their cuts beyond the end of this year, then that doesn't really line up. And I think the fact that we haven't heard anything from either of those countries yet in regards to that extension suggests to me that perhaps they don't want to extend these cuts and they don't think they'll need to extend these cuts, but maybe they're leaving it late in the day because they want to see how the economic dynamics evolve over the last couple of months of the year. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. We'll speak to you again very soon. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.